You know, RJ, what I find the most interesting of looking at the number, the current numbers right now in terms of new cases per day, and the, they went above 40,000. This is throughout the U.S. So those numbers, to put it in context, we were down to about 20,000 at the end of May. So they've doubled. However, that the, means nothing to me. However, the death numbers per day haven't gone up. They continue to slowly trend downward. As yeah, so, so, so to be clear, though, you realize that the doubling, and we're back to that argument, we have no idea. I mean, here's the question. If unlocking or opening up the country didn't wasn't expected to cause— if it wasn't, if it wasn't expected to cause a major change in the cases, then why were we locked down to start with? Yeah, we wouldn't have been. The, the premise is the lockdown is making some great um, improvement on the count. And thus, why would it become less important three months later or whatever, two and a half months later? Well, it was the old bend the curve so the hospitals wouldn't be overrun. They wouldn't be... Um, you know, people literally dying in the hallways on a gurney. That kind of thing is, you know, obviously rightfully we try to avoid. But once the hospital situation uh, showed itself to not be that, you know, a lot of reports it was the opposite in some places specifically. I don't think obviously in New York, though. I think in New York still there was not a single moment they said that they, they, that they ran out of beds. Uh, I think that's right, but or, or ventilators anywhere, I think. But I could see one other re- – once they saw the hospitals were fine, I could see one other reason to wait because the whole concept of herd immunity is okay. Is the As the percentage of people who, in a way, are vaccinated by having it, right, which is effectively what that is – because that's what a vaccination does, if I'm not mistaken, is it it tricks your body into saying, oh, you've got this thing, produce everything to fight it, but they make it, they kind of, mm, they make the disease or the virus impotent in a way that it triggers that but doesn't trigger the actual illness. But if you get the actual illness, well, you got to suffer through that, but then you've got the same effect in the end. Just a more painful process. Um, and then obviously risk you know, that it could really go wrong. So I think the idea of, all right, let's wait another week, let's wait another week. The percentage of people who have it, everyone that got it in that interim action, if they knew lockdown, no one would get it in those couple weeks, which it would be impossible. But if they did, there'd be no reason to stay locked down. The only reason to stay locked down that I see after the hospitals were addressed was to, to attempt to increase, not on purpose, but through just life, even lockdown, the percentage of people that would have it and thus her, be closer to herd immunity and the coefficient of the virality, I guess would be the way to say it, uh, would go down a little bit. So it would still be high enough to grow and grow at a fast pace if everyone was in contact, but then you add in heat even if it's opened up, we're going to try to keep social distancing. And again, guys like McKenzie and Bernie, they, 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 they don't, they just, I, Bernie came in like last week trying to hug people. <laughs> I mean, I, I got the guy was, a, you know, he's like 64, I think. And he was a boxer like three years ago. So like he was boxing. So he's a tough dude, but come on, you know, I don't, I tend not to hug during good times. People, you know, except, you know, I am married. So, but during a pandemic, I tend not to hug. I can't lie. Good philosophy to have. And and we've been real good in the office, I think, for the most part. Um, really? You don't think we have? I, I think that it's human nature to get lackadaisical. That's a good point. That's true. And the irony of all this is, is if you fucking stay locked down for four freaking months, you know, or three and whatever, and then... You, you really try hard for a month or so after that, and then you get it. That's the real bad beat. Yes. Because, you know, it brings up one of my, now that we're on this, I can say this quickly and we'll move on. One of the new segments, I've yet to unveil it, so it's actually the world premiere.
we know let's how did I name this? Because I had a couple different names. Um okay. Here it is. A hundred percent taboo, but how true. Do you get the minor rhyme there, Matt? I got it. I like it. A hundred percent taboo, but how true. Would it have made sense for LeBron James or any NBA player once they knew the season, or at least the expectation was the season was going to happen, or the re, uh, resumption of the season, should he, under medical circumstances, treatment, care, supervision, have found a way to get the, if possible, the most minor weakest strain of coronavirus, understanding that the odds were massively high that he would survive, and then after, there was no chance he would be literally immune. When it came to the coronavirus, LeBron would be like Superman against the coronavirus. It would be meaningless. You know, we this- know it's taboo, <laughs> but how true? You know, I think there's some truth in this. I really do, because the last thing LeBron would ever want is, obviously, it's a disaster if he catches it in October, right before the NBA Finals. And if you can manage it, like you said, and it's, it's so much less critical if he, if he would have gotten it in June than getting it later, boy. And plus, in theory, and I'm speculating here because, though, Steve, you have an MD, I don't. Um, or do you? I can't remember because you talk <laughs> about injuries a ton, very authoritatively. Yeah, I tend to, I guess, uh, run with injury information too much. The um, Well, no, it's not even that. It's like based on your angle, you either completely – accept what's in the you know the 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 reports or you'll completely ignore it you'll be like no way could he be back what probable no way you come back from a a grade two hamstring like that in three weeks it's it's funny because the san francisco wide receiver samuel i'm like there's i said exactly that there's no way he's coming back by week one even though he himself said oh i'm i'm planning on coming back week one well that's why i'm so funny is when i say crap it actually is is accurate, and that's it what is. makes it fun. If, if I, I just made stuff up, it wouldn't be very funny. I mean, at least it could be funny if there was like a character I said did it, but not Steve Fezzik. So I've got one thought that makes it where, yes, it's taboo, but is it true? Let's go around the horn, start with McKenzie. I think if you gave LeBron uh, the choice to play Russian roulette or win a championship, he'd say no. One in six chance is too high. You put 300 chambers. Well, l- luckily, that's not the question. Yeah, you put 300 chambers in that gun. Hey, one in 299 out of 300 times, you're not going to die, but you'll win an NBA championship. I think he takes that shot. Plus, let's be candid. What are the odds that LeBron or anyone gets it between now and when there's a vaccine? Because in that case... It's just getting it sooner. I mean, my gut feeling is the odds are at least one in four. Yeah, that's the number I had, 25%. Wow. Yeah. I was at 33, and then I went down just at the last second. So uh, one in four times, he would have just got it in a better circumstance, if that number's right. Right. Matt. I agree with McKenzie. This is a this is a guy who wants that championship. He doesn't put it at risk. Here's the concern. There's reports and and they're sporadic about there's like lungs. People are showing lungs after and it's like, oh my God, they're damaged for life. I gotta be honest, I think if that was backed by medicine in a way that was like more than aberrations. You know, so it was like the common thing or even, you know, in one in uh, five people, 10 people that got it. Then you would say, hey, yeah, he might not die statistically, but he would have, you know, a real material chance, LeBron, in this hypothetical, which is taboo. 
and we're trying to figure how true. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that if you could wipe that away and it was just truly like, you know, and I know it's not in every way like the flu, but if you don't die from it, it'd be like the flu as in, hey, you feel weak maybe for a week and you're fine. I think it might be smart to do it. But I do think there's some uh, questions about, well, there's even questions about immunity. Like, are they sure that a year from, you know, it might be like the flu vaccine you got to get every year, um, which would, ooh, imagine if they had that and they didn't actually have a vaccine. And I was thinking today, as I am want to do about polio. No, but I was thinking about it. Imagine for how long that there was a, you know, invisible disease out there. And that was contagious, right? That wasn't genetic. I mean, that was something you would get it, right? Mackenzie, you want to look at it? And I'm almost sure. Because I know FDR got it, and they were talking about, like, it was somehow in some pool, they thought, or I don't know. But, um... Yeah, it spreads to person-to-person contact. So imagine, like, we're all, like, freaked, and rightfully so, for you know, because this is new to us. But imagine something that was just the same as in, and, and it wasn't as prevalent at any time. You know, weren't millions of cases, I don't think, at once. But, like, almost, I, I think almost everyone was, like, you know, permanently hurt by it. Now, it wasn't always that you would um, be in a wheelchair or whatever, but, I mean, it, it was not anything to mess around with. And and that went on for decades. The, the, any given day, you could have, you know, contracted polio. Right? Mackenzie, you're the one that's supposed to have the information at your fingertips right now. Yes, it was spread through person-to-person contact. We heard that. And uh, after recovery, uh, many people developed what they called post-polio syndrome, which could last as long as 30 to 40 years after you recovered to the illness. So... It's taboo to say maybe they should have gave it to a kid at 10. No, no, no I don't mm. think so. <laughs> then when he's 40, he's clear. Um, <laughs> and, Matt, you were mentioning, because when I was doing the LeBron thing, you guys made a joke about, um, what was it called, uh, chicken pox parties? Chicken pox parties. Now, what, what, I've never heard of that. Yeah, it was news to me as well. Uh, Mackenzie helped inform me of that one. My good friend Ned Flanders told me about this one. Uh, that's when you take kids that haven't had smallpox, get them all in a room with some punch, have them all drink from it, and then they all get smallpox. I mean, they all get smallpox. They all get chickenpox, but, you know, in a couple of weeks, they'll never have to worry about it again. Do you think you're trying to be funny with Ned Flanders maybe threw you off? I mean, that's just where I heard it for the first time. <laughs> but have you heard it anywhere but there? Because The Simpsons isn't necessarily 100% literal all the time. That's true. I, I have not heard it, but I know my mom was very happy when me and my sister got it after my brother got it back. But that's a whole different matter, right? True. Um, it's like in Apocalypse Now when Brando goes and they hacked off every inoculated arm. It's one thing to say, hey, I wouldn't mind if my arm accidentally got chopped off. But if you purposely hack it off, that's a whole different story. It takes an extra level of will yep. to like kind of think, hey, if, the, if they're going to get it, might as well get it now. I get that. But sending your kids in to be infected. So look up if there's, just put in quotes, chicken pox party. But the theory was it was the way for them to figure you're going to get it once. And I guess the theory was if these kids are playing together, it'd be easier just to have them all get it together. There's even a shorthand for it, pox party. Wikipedia has a pox party entry. Like chicken pox, or maybe it was because they did it for things. I, I don't think it was because, like J-Lo, they didn't want to say the whole name. I'm thinking <laughs> there were other types of pox that, that they also had parties yeah. for. Social activity where children are deliberately exposed to an infectious disease. Yeah, so infectious disease, not just chicken pox. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm guessing smallpox wasn't on the list because <laughs> that was serious. God, I hope not. So, Fez, have you figured – I know that you got concerned when you realized it, and we're trying to research it, 
I think th- there was like 200 kids that were born the year you were that were not vaccinated for smallpox. My father has texted me telling me, I'm sure you did. Why do you ask? I asked him, well, then why well, do look, I? Look online to say smallpox vaccination scar and see how big it is. Yeah. And I asked him, why do I have no scar? And I'm waiting for him to respond. Oh, my God. I think we're uncovering something that you were adopted. <laughs> think about this. This is how it happens. Is there's these like there's these strange vagueness during certain years that you can't recall because you were too young. <laughs> if you, do saw, you all joking aside, do you look like your parents? If you saw my dad's hair, you'd be certain that I am his child. So he has a pompadour in exactly his 80s? the same, only it's white. Yep. So, if genetically you're supposed to go gray, what I'm confused. Yeah, that's more unnatural. He didn't have he didn't have the money to go <laughs> to go to uh, <laughs> uh, Kmart to get the shoe polish or what? What, what? what do you use? What's it called? I have no idea. I, I, I my wife comes into my office. I'm working and I say it's a bad time. And she says, shh. And she puts a towel around me and just uh, just starts. She's like, listen, this is hard enough to stick around here. If you go gray, it's not going to work. Yeah. It's so, really cold. So it takes her about eight minutes of application. She sets the timer for – she says it should only be 30 minutes, but we'll give it 40. Who cares if you get a little bit of brain damage? And then she says, and don't get it all over the uh, the shower. Yep. <laughs> my father – Seems like he shifted gears right there into, like, a lot of anger. But go ahead. My father has responded. He says it could have been on your butt or leg. That's not very helpful. I've never heard of that. I think he's lying. It's been 55 years. He might not remember. (laughs) The funny thing is that implies no one's ever seen your butt. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like he must think no one's ever seen it. Tell him, Dad, I got a kid. I mean, the lights were off. She was way drunk. (laughs) (laughs) It was that second bottle of wine. (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) So it could have been your butt or where? What was the other place? Or leg. So, but you think you have a quarter-sized scar on your leg that you don't know about? I don't see it. Did you look up the scar? No. Look it up. I mean, tell me if this could be anywhere. Because even in the dark, I think your wife would have saw it on your butt. But I don't know how dark. I mean, they have those blackout shades. I don't know. All right. Let's talk about how good Cam is. I'm an optimist. I believe Steve. Tell me when you've seen that, Steve. Oh, my goodness. Yes, I've seen You know, I always wondered what the heck that was on people's arms. Yeah, everyone that was, like, even younger than you yeah, by five years. Yeah, I see those all the time. Yeah, so do you ever wonder why you didn't have one? I'm looking. <laughs> this reminds me of my mom. When I, I saw a picture of her when she was a kid, she was like 14 or whatever, and she's on the beach. And I saw it somehow when I was like maybe nine or 10, and I was going through pictures and, you know, like boxes like a kid tends to. And I go, Mom, what's that on your head? She had a swim cap on. She goes, Oh, that's a swim cap. You know, back then it was obligatory. Everyone, you know, said what she said, it was, you know, it was required. And again, I was, you know, like 10, I looked and I go, but mom, there's like 10 people in the picture. None of them have it on. She goes, you know something? You're right. <laughs> Somehow she never made that connection. <laughs> what do you think of that, Matt? I think it's fantastic. Yeah? Yeah. Well, you stayed silent somehow. Well, I was still looking up vaccine scars. Man. Yeah, yeah. I think enough. Yeah. <laughs> you haven't contributed much there. I think it's enough. Is... But there was something you talked about about the pox party, and it was in Alabama. Yeah, ABC News is reporting that Alabama students are throwing COVID parties to see who gets infected. So they're delivering. But that implies that, oh, so no one has it that they know, but they figure that if everyone has as much contact as possible, it increases the chances. No, they are inviting people who have been diagnosed with COVID-19. Wow. To see who can catch it. And they're putting money in a pot to, to see uh, if you catch yeah, it. Yeah, but if the all money. the people, here's the confusing part. 
if all the people who are in the bet are at the same party, then they're all going to probably get it if there's people there with it. And who's going to win the bet? Yeah, whoever gets COVID first is That's what I'm saying. How can you determine that? Well, I think it's going to be who's diagnosed first in a way, but... But so now it's going to be like who goes to the doctor at 9 a.m. and who goes at because the theory is, OK, there's the five day or whatever incubation period. So you don't want it. You want to catch it early, but you don't want to catch it too early, because if you're like two hours early, you, you yeah. see that party's the mistake. Now, if one person in that competition would have known one person with it, then that's smart if you're trying to win. Oh, you could totally game that competition. But apparently in Alabama, they couldn't figure that out. No. I mean, I'm not saying everyone in Alabama. No. I mean, Nick Saban's smart. There's a lot. In fact, that dude who, uh, Conrad Thompson, the wrestling podcast guru, Alabama, smart, smart guy. Um, good guy. Good natural businessman, that guy. The. I Listen. One of the great things about being a kid is being stupid because it's like you in life, you know, like Vito said in one, you know, women and children can afford to be stupid, but men can't or careless, but men can't. And obviously that was a different age when it came to, you know, where women weren't working as much or the breadwinners or, you know, one of the two or even the single, obviously, sometimes. You see how woke I am? I see it. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> and <laughs> historically woke. Well, no, no, no. I like to be on the not the bleeding edge. I like to be a fast follower if I want to follow, right? But I still think like Mary Tyler Moore is a better show than probably almost any sitcom on today. So I'm old school in some ways. Well, you have good taste. So. Yeah, Mary. Well, yeah. But I worry sometimes, the, just the last two years or so, like things have become very prevalent in the media and I have no idea where even a couple years ago I would know about, it. I wouldn't necessarily be a fan, but like three and a half or two and a half, men, yeah, three and a half men. I know all about now. <laughs> that was a show. I, I literally thought that was unwatchable because I watched like 10 minutes of it a couple of times, but I knew it. But then I hear about these things, and I think it's Netflix, which is just, it's so long tail. That when something does, like uh, Riverdale, whatever, does kind of break through, it kind of breaks through, but it doesn't really, like American Idol broke through. And there's just too many of them to keep up. Well, have there been any great sitcoms in the last? I I mean, how would I know? I I keep hearing (laughs) about that. That that Joe Back Horseman or whatever it's supposed to be called. Bo- Bojack, Bojack Horseman, a, a friend of mine writes for that show. Good show, recommended. But Mackenzie, you got horrible taste in movies and, and TV. So that's what is, true. Take my recommendation with that consideration. Yeah, I mean it's almost a fade material. <laughs> but I mean I've seen it on enough lists of guys I respect that, you know, I think. But then there's the uh, Morty and Marty or something. Rick and Morty, also yeah. recommended by yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> And maybe some of this is, you know, at a certain point, you, you know, there's a movie that I'm guessing no one here has seen. I actually rewatched it on YouTube recently, just in the last couple of days. Uh, Pump up the volume. Christian Slater was playing a, uh, a, a, this was in 1990, playing a radio uh, guy who was in high school and he had his own radio pirate show. So he had like a Wi-Fi kind of thing going, oh, not Wi-Fi, um, CB type thing going on, but they could pick it up in that town. It was like an Arizona suburb. And he gets on, he's playing like Leonard Cohn as his intro song, everybody knows. And uh, he's talking about like sex. And, you know, it was edgy. It was like a, you know, a young Howard Stern type, you know, during the shock jock years. But it was like a metaphor for um, like, here we are at the end of the 80s, effectively, and all the Wall Street, how many yachts do you need? And <clears throat> what led, obviously, to Kurt Cobain and all that, and, and grunge was a sense of, okay, we've had enough uh, glam, now we need some grit. 
And it was kind of actually ahead of the curve with that. It was a pretty decent movie. Pretty decent movie. But um, but there was a line in there. And this is pre-internet now, obviously, 90. And he said that society or culture, I can't remember the word he used, was evolving at such a fast pace that anyone above the age of 23 has no idea what's going on with, let's say, a senior in high school. That, you know, the theory was four years or whatever, you wouldn't be able to relate. You know, it doesn't matter that for a 40-year-old, you're both kids. It's like, and you got to wonder, to whatever degree that was true in 1990, I mean, it feels like every six months that's the case now. Exponentially bigger now. now so it used, it used to be like generations, RJ. We talk about 20-year differentials, and now we're talking about, eh, you know, one year, and the world's changing. But you were out of it when you were 17, though, right? Hey, I was the exception. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, Matt, your oldest is how old? 12. So he, it's a he, right? Yes. So he is like starting to just like more care, you know, I'm guessing a crush here or there, right? Yeah, but he's not talking to me about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what I'm saying is he's worried about his clothes a little bit more, probably. A little bit more, yeah. Yeah. So he's like literally of the age that he can't remember not having a cell phone, or at least a cell phone's not being prevalent. He, he, couldn't, he couldn't remember one at all in his life. Yeah. He's been there his whole life. And it's just, you know, it was always funny. My grandfather, who was born in 1922... And he used to talk about, you know, there wasn't cars. Now, in his mind, there was a paradigm that cars didn't exist. Or they weren't, you know, they were like a spaceship or something. They were somewhere. They just weren't in his town. And I couldn't, I mean, you just can't comprehend that. But really, that's how your boy in that age is going to think about uh, cell phones or, or smartphones. Exactly. And then there's a certain age... Of what? Let's say if you were born in 90, even 90, you can hardly remember or you can't remember any time without Internet. So think about, oh, that's kind of freaking yeah. scary. So that's exactly Mackenzie, right? 90. Yep, that's my birth year. All right. So you don't remember there not being Internet? Nope, I don't. I remember dialing up. That's about it. Yeah. So why are you so bad on the Internet? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like, I was 28 when I first went on the internet. Wait, that isn't right, is it? So you're 30, and it was... So I was... No, yeah, 98. I was 28. Holy cow. But you were... Okay, yeah, you would be 8. That's what I was thinking. I was right. thinking it's 20. Okay, yeah. All right. So, once again, the question is, how are you so bad on the internet? <laughs> I don't know. It should be like a second nature to me, shouldn't it? But I'm guessing most of your friends are much better. Like you seem, in a way, it's why you can survive at this job. You're not a typical millennial. And I'm not saying no. I mean, I'm just saying typically, you know, when it comes to work, I'm really old school. So maybe I got to just accept if you were good at the, you know, if you were like that kind of millennial, you would have never got the job or stayed. He'd be texting every 90 seconds, Right, RJ. I was just going to say. I have yeah. a lot less apps than, the, than my average friend on my phone. Yeah, so I'm going to, um, I'm actually going to give you a pass on that from here on. <laughs> now, it means you at least got to be as good as, like, Faz. Oh. Yeah. You know what's funny? I haven't told this publicly, but, you know, I've got an iPhone 7, and it, it, what petered out, punked out, whatever you want to say, it hit the hit the skids, and it was literally the week of March, the middle of March when they did the COVID, and because of that, and now after I haven't, I haven't had a cell phone since March fifteenth. It has been so liberating. How have you stayed alive? I don't, I don't, I mean, to some degree, if you don't leave, I mean, the whole thing about a cell phone is you have a portable computer, so I literally drive from the house to the office 
and here I got like nine iPads and computers, and there I got nine of them. So I'm always wired, but I like that. That you know, a friend of mine once said, "You know, it'd be nice if the if the phone, if I could call people, but they couldn't call me." I'm like, yeah, if everyone thought like that, the phones would be useless. But I I kind of like that I can't get my day, and I know you cannot respond or you can ignore it but then it's like why haven't you got society's now set the standard that if you're not back to someone in a half hour it's a problem and it's like how is it that you can ever do any deep thinking if every half hour you're checking your phone i know you add slack to that equation and it becomes impossible to what to not respond to the amount of messages that come through your phone yeah, but the theory is Slack is supposed to only be for the, the pri- messages of a priority that, that you should respond, right? Right. In my experience, it was 50% that. You mean at a prior job? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, listen, I, I mean, I went to catechism. I had my first, you know, baptism, first Holy Communion, and con- um, confirmation in the Catholic Church. I'm not a church going. It's Sunday. I'm busy on Sundays. But my mom is, yeah, old school Italian mother type Catholicism. And, you know, like Wednesday church, Wednesday at like seven in the morning kind of thing. And <clears throat> it takes a special breed. You know, I know enough about the whole doubting Thomas. You know, it's like, Show me a sign. And he says, you shouldn't need a sign. The only sign Fez can, can even conjure up from the existence of a God is somehow he's going to interject and find a way to make Fez money. I've never heard you talk about you saw something that affirmed to you the existence of a God. Well, you know, it's probably just a coincidence, but like I said, 60 seconds later, there it was. No, plus no. EV vets coming I, through. I, I understand that you're happy that you got some plus EV bets in. What I'm saying is, have you ever on air or in our personal conversations, which have been seemingly thousands of hours, <laughs> Have you ever talked about the existence of God, that you saw something? You saw, let's say, a child in Africa gain his sight through because of uh, Sally Struthers. I mean, was there any—have you ever expressed that to me? Never. How, can you recall expressing it to anybody? Mackenzie? No. Hollywood? No. I don't think so. So, like, in the last 20 years, you've never— Profess the existence of God because of something you saw. Never. And now you have. Wow. And it's cause Cam Newton got signed and you gained two and a half points in like week seven and 11 <laughs> of the NFL season. What were the limits on those bets? Nichols. So the ROI on those was what? Of, of the additional ROI, or, or I guess five, just... 5% on, a, on like three bets. So. So literally, let's think about this now. $25 a bat. Yeah. So $75. Cheesecake factory dinner. So literally, the expectation, not even $75 in his pocket, but the expectation of $75 makes him believe in God. But nothing he's seen walking this earth has otherwise. Seems like my priorities are screwed up. Yep. Or maybe not. (laughs) What do you think of that, Matt? I think God's kind of cheap. <laughs> Man, I might be the I might be the holiest person on this show. That's kind of scary. <laughs> I guess it's Vegas. What the hell? You know something? I'm going to try to hire, next person I hire, I'm going to try to make them religious. Just even things out here. I, would they would they survive? Well, no, probably not. <laughs> I mean, they would need their belief in a greater being. I would tell you this. <laughs> if Mother Teresa came in, it would be hard to even up with Fez and his selfishness. <laughs> is, that's interesting. Is Mother Teresa more altruistic or is Fez more selfish? Like if there was like a data visualization with plots, 
and it was Fezzik's pompadour and Mother Teresa's ha- habitat or whatever it's called <laughs> as a nun. <laughs> Pretty equal, I think. Yeah, it'd be like, like you'd have to get out the ruler to figure out. Yeah, that's hilarious. I I gotta be honest with you. I don't, I don't think we realize how crazy it is that that's the one time he talked about God. It's pretty insane. How do you feel, Steve, about your son being raised in, in, in with the you know quite frankly. I'm not sure how to say it. I'll try to be gentle. In the cold, amoral, um, in the shadow, the cold shadow of your amoral view of the world. Yeah, you know, actually, as a concern, I was proud. (laughs) I got to tell you, RJ, I was proud. I know, short story. I was proud of Johnny. The other night, we snuck onto the golf course, all right? Well, yeah. At dusk, we're going to play a couple holes. Every, every chance you get. We, got an, eight, we got, got an eight iron, got a putter, you know. Play best. We, we, we play alternating shots. And Johnny looks at me and says, Daddy, is this right? Aren't we trespassing? I was proud of him. And what did you say? I said because we live in the community. We're exempt. So, you, so now, literally, you're lying to him. Yes. So when he gets caught, when he's like 11, doing it by himself. I think maybe we got to stop doing that. I was proud of him. But you realize that now he has an assumption that's wrong, and thus he might be guided by that later. I, I do, and I think I got to correct that. I really do. So you're going to tell him Daddy lied. I so am. first the hornet, and now he now he lied. The amazing thing is he's splash bombing the wasps in the pool. He enjoys it now. See, that's what you think. They call that PTSD. <laughs> no, I'm serious. That's what happens. Is you attempt to, I mean, that happens. And, and listen. I don't even want to like get into it at all, but if you look up into you know certain you know sexual assault, is they tend to fetishize it is not always, but like a crazy amount to what you would think, because it's like they want to find a way to control it, to say it's uh, that I have agency over it. The you know though I got to do these things that in a way replicate it or recreate the environment. It happens it, it really shocking. And not shocking like I'm judging it, but like it's it's a real thing. Are you familiar? Um, Matt, that seems like something you might know about. I'm just saying because you're, you know, psych, you know, as a, Holly, a guy with screenplay past and writing a bunch, have you read about that? Uh, not specifically with, with sexual assault, but I have heard that trauma victims will try to re- recreate the trauma in their lives to gain control over it. Mm-hmm. Ag- agency, like you said. Exactly. So that's what he's doing, dude. That's a sign of PTSD. Interesting. Because who in the right mind, I could see not being scared anymore, but who in the right mind would jump purposely again and again upon a stinging creature? I'll, I'll videotape him. <laughs> no, I believe that he has PTSD. I'm just saying, why would I want to see it? He genuinely seems to enjoy it. But who, that's the point. Yeah. He's trying to take control of so it. So Daddy doesn't throw him on the wasp. He now has. He gets to choose when to. Ju- he's going to jump on a wasp. No, he gets to choose if he has nightmares about it. If he if he's just going around shaking over it, that he's not mm-hmm. worried about. I mean, who knows what he's worried about? His whole world got turned upside down. The person that was his protector became the person he needed protected from. Well, at least he's not afraid of ants anymore. You're. I mean, and that's what's so funny, Matt. You didn't believe me. When I told you that all the stuff with the kid, all the stuff with anything was the stuff like Tony Soprano that said women or, or I'm sorry, children and animals. And he's going to love the thing or Christmas or he always has like if it was an unexpected death. The world has unexpected deaths all the time. And sometimes they're kids, sometimes they're 14, you know, whatever. And it's a kid, too. Sometimes we're 86. And he always gets this look on his face like he's the most empathetic person to ever literally walk the earth because he thinks, oh, compute, compute. It's like at that point, he thinks he's supposed to show empathy. So he does. But it's like a computer program to show it. And now... Wouldn't you say that he was the softest dad you had ever seen up until the wasp story or the hornet story? 
Agreed. Right? That's what I thought, yeah. And now he's saying things like, yeah, PTSD, that's fine. At least kid ain't a wimp anymore. Like, that is literally going from the the, the most empathetic dad, softest dad, to, like, top 10%, you know, uh, the great Santini. So maybe the pendulum had to swing back and forth a little before it calibrated. Or that only happens if there's not an actual true place that it's supposed to be. You're like a computer again, gauging things to find the equilibrium point. Right? Well, just don't ask me to push a button and how many people I need to kill to have sports start again. Uh, what do you think of that, Matt? The analysis of Fez... Fez's pendulum swinging one way and the other? No, just I, I think the whole idea that literally he went from being the softest, most caring. Like, most mothers weren't as protective. Protective's probably the word. Most mothers weren't as protective of their son as he was. I think it was a momentary psychotic break. Except now he's doing the same he's saying the same thing it's like somehow the 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 jig is up so he's letting the true feelings come out i think so so it wasn't momentary or or the momentary somehow triggered the unveiling of the truth no i i honestly i still think fez is a soft father i still think so i do well i i mean go back about 90 seconds and re-listen to the show <laughs> Because he just is saying, I, I really made a compelling case. His boy has PTSD. And he said, well, at least he's doesn't afraid of those wasps. <laughs> right or wrong? Right. So that's the most caring dad? Uh, in, a, in a twisted way, yes. Mm-hmm. By twisted, you mean the opposite, yes. <laughs> well, Did, I, he, he is protecting him from fear. In a strange way. No, except he now has fear like resonating in his soul. Oh, but is it better to have fear of your father or fear of the world? See, here's the thing for the young parents out there. I think it's, now this is old school. I think it's a good thing that you fear if you do something wrong, that there's going to be a real consequence. I don't know enough to know is, you know, obviously smacking a kid upside the head with no notice like they did in my day is not the answer. Is there some type of corporal punishment? I don't know. I don't think so. But I do think that, because again, it's kind of demented, the idea like let's inflict pain upon them as punishment. It's almost like, how different is that? Is let's get out the razor blade and cut them. I mean, it, I mean, I get it. It's like that would bleed, but <clears throat> I mean, I think people have gone paralyzed from getting paddled and hit the wrong way in the back. You know, in the back. The, but I do think there's an element that if you're afraid your dad's gonna crack you, like I was, and pretty much am, is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious is it's still, it teaches you that there are people in this world that might hit you. And I think there's a lot of people that are, you know, I'm not saying like Mackenzie's cohorts, but yes, Mackenzie's cohorts, they don't ever think they're going to get hit. And not thinking you're going to get hit ever makes you go through the world a lot differently. And I don't think that's a good thing. Because I think that fear of getting hit means there's literally a consequence more than someone on Twitter calling you a name. Yeah, and it speaks to the, the contrast between idealism and practical experience. You, you can walk through the world idealizing a nonviolent world where no one ever gets hit, but it's practically impossible to live in that world. Did, now, did your dad whack you around? couple times not not a lot. so but if he got mad if his if he got like took a real deep breath and got red in the face you were physically scared yes all right that to me is the key and again i'm not even saying that's a good thing by itself because obviously that's anxiety that's a lot of things too but but then when you were out in the world you were in new york for a while or what six seven years right 
About seven and a half years, yep. Yeah. So you were in spots where violence could have broken out, I'm sure. I mean, I saw violence break out. Yeah. And it. and you were you probably were feeling like you felt like as a kid, like you were looking around trying to figure where to go. Like you were on it. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't have done much, I don't think, if it would have happened. Well, no, well, I saw a lot of fights. It would have been like the penguin trying to run away. I learned in high school. We had a lot of fights in my high school, a lot of gang activity, and and we kind of— You you weren't fighting. It was what, in San Jose? Yeah. Now, I'm not saying there weren't real gangs. I'm saying you weren't part of the gangs, though. I was not, but you learn how to avoid those Yeah, avoid. Okay, okay. But you weren't fighting. You didn't get caught in the melee, and, like, all of a sudden you're, like, cracking— one of the gang members. No, not at all. That would be a death wish. <laughs> now, were they? Was the San Jose gangs like? Did anyone that was a student get like killed in gang violence while a student? Uh, you know, the fact that I have to think about that speaks volumes, but I don't think so. Well, I think the fact you have to think means it, it means it's absolutely the answer is no. You would think you would know that one. It either was a big answer, like 22, yeah, it's about 20, or it's like, no, no one did, right? Yeah, in, in a sense. I, but you're, the fact I think you're saying that it could have happened, it feels like. Yes. All right. But you learn to avoid the situations, where to look, where to walk, where to stand, so... So you went to it was public school. Correct. Yeah. And was it was how many high schools did San Jose have at the time? Uh, le- over twenty. It would have. To wow. Be, yeah. I would not have thought that. Wow. Well, there were at least three school districts, and about I don't know anywhere from seven to. No, I believe it. I believe it. But I think it's it's funny. You think about these towns that. And in, in, I think Texas has a few of them where it's like you barely think it deserves a mention. It's got like 700,000 people, some of these towns. Yep. You know what's a fascinating trivia question? What state, I never do trivia, what state has the biggest third most populous city? That's a fascinating question. Mm-hmm. It's either Texas or California, right? <laughs> oh, okay. It's Ohio, baby. Ah. Think about it. Cincinnati, Columbus, Cleveland. They're all within like 100,000 of each other. And it's like they're all almost 2 million. Wow. And then it's, Cal- I mean, like the fourth biggest city. I don't know. Maybe. How many people was in Toledo, Fed? Oh, you than, were Dayton, right? I think less than Dayton. I think Toledo's like you got to count all the suburbs, but they're like five hundred thousand, six hundred thousand. I think. I think six a little high for Toledo. Yeah, I think Toledo's smaller. And Dayton was six hundred thousand. Yeah, yeah. If you add in Kettering, which is a, just a suburb. You mean you just add some other place? Well, they're all within within ten miles of the downtown area. All right, that makes sense then. Um, and how many were in San Jose at the time? That is a great question. You grew up and didn't know how many people lived in the town? No, it had to be. Uh, you were dodging gang violence, I guess. Maybe look that up. I'm just curious. Me too. <laughs> had to be it's a currently just over a million. Oh, my God. In San Jose. So how many people? And what's the third biggest city in California? Uh, it's actually San Jose. See? It, but San Jose is like a metropolitan area. The city itself is surrounded by Mountain View, Palo Alto, all the Silicon Valley cities. So it's. Yeah, which means other cities. Uh, technically, yes. But. Well, <laughs> what answer is there but technical answers? <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, that technicality of the Fourth Amendment. <laughs> the like, actual, I think we're going to have to let him off. The actual experience of living in the area is that you, you feel like it's, it's the Bay. Many, many more than that. Well, under that theory, Oakland and San Francisco is the same city. Yeah, well, from the, in, in the Bay, we... We divided it in three areas, East Bay, the city, or the peninsula, and South Bay. All right, spoiler alert, big development in the poker challenge, and we'll be disclosing what went down. So if you have not seen it yet in video and want to see it first, don't continue to listen. (laughs) All right, Mackenzie. Ah. It all looked so good. For about three what, hours. What did we estimate a week before? Like minus 200, minus 300? Right. We had, Ugh. I had a three to one chip lead. We were playing best two out of three sets. And it had taken me almost four hours. 
to get that three to one chip lead. And I hadn't even won one of the sets. I had to win two in six hours. Yep. And frankly, I think it was you kind of got coolered. A little bit. I was I was too aggressive. I didn't play well. You're a better poker player than me. I'm man enough to admit it. You know, one thing. It's very difficult to bluff and talk a lot. And if you we, went we back, we discovered that. That's if, very true. And if you went back and looked at the video, I do. I actually talk a lot when I'm bluffing. Oh yeah. But I talk. So I, there's two key hands. Both times you knocked me out, and it's a great example of what you're talking about. So go, let's let's uh, run down the first one. All right. So the first one I'm dealing, and I've got um, ace of spades and, and another spade. Make a standard size raise. This is all from memory, so it may not be 100% right. accurate. And it's burnt. It's etched into my, my memory. McKenzie calls. He's already short stacked here, all right? And he's call, he calls with um, a high card and a medium card. And the flop comes all three spades. So I flop the house. I've got the flush. But Can't uh, lose. Can't well, lose. Can't, well, can't lose because, well, unless you catch a boat. Yeah. Um, you river, you river. flop middle pair, I believe. Yeah, I did. And in that situation, the inclination is to do the Jennifer Tilly, which is to check with the nuts. Now, you know what? It's too suspicious. Mm. In general, you want to bet because I'm going to bet 85% of the time. I raise pre-flop. I'm going to bet, I'm going to bet with a C bet, continuation bet, post-flop. So I go ahead and make that bet, and you call. Right? And I call because you've been, like you said, betting 85% of the time. A pair, I got four spades. I'm, I'm fine with calling a little, you know, what was it, like a, pot, a pot-sized bet? Oh, you know what? I, I misspoke. You actually let out into me, I believe. Oh, okay. I take that back. You let out to me. So after the flop, I have four spades, middle pair. Yeah, I bet on that. Yeah, so you bet on it because you have a spade and the board showing three spades. And at this point, normally I would go ahead and make a C bet myself. However, I think if I raise you, that's a telltale sign that I either have an ace or king of spades or I have top pair. And because of that, I don't want to give away that my hand's this strong. And I think the smooth call is in order. Um, then the turn bricks uh, a blank, basically. Yep. And you choose to shut it down at that point because— And you said—we talk about how much you talk when you have the nuts. You said, huh, what did that change? You're not betting anymore. That was nothing. So a talking hand. Again, it's very easy to talk when you have it. Now, I, I try to bluff a lot and still talk, but I don't talk as much. It's very hard. It's human nature when you're lying exactly to right. talk a whole lot in poker. So I throw in a $10 bet, modest bet, and I think you properly make the call. You've got the third highest spade draw, so you've got your, your, your flush draw. You've got a middle pair. Um, and then the river comes. The worst possible card, the king of spades. So I have the jack of spades, and I'm thinking there's only one card that beats me. And if you would have went all in right away, I, I probably, I, I think I, there's 50% chance I would have folded. But as you're talking, as you're saying, well, I don't have the ace. Do you have the ace? I don't think you have the ace. I just got so worn down. I was like, I'm going to call. i got to see these cards. i got to see them. And you let out, I think you, your stack was at that point like 60, and you let out for 25. Yeah, I think it was like 80, but yeah, something like that. Yes, and then I, I hemmed and hawed, and I discussed, do you have the ace? No, you don't have the ace. If you had the ace, you'd shove immediately. <laughs> you'd be so talking, happy. Talking, talking, talking. Yes, talking, talking, talking. And then the king and queen are on the board, so you've got the second nut flush, second nut hand. I think you have to call there. Um, that's a, I probably do. That's why I said 50%. Maybe it's less than that, but I, there was no chance I was folding after your little your diatribe. <laughs> now, about, you think about not it, having the ace of spades. The, good, the, the, the interesting thing about all this is what is what am I shoving with other exactly. than the ace That's, of spades? If I would have had an extra beat and thought about it, I might have came to that conclusion. I didn't have because, that Because it's such an easy call. If I have a middle spade, I've, I'm, I'm calling a thousand Right, you're not times. raising. If I have a spade and I don't have – maybe I could throw the two or three of spades away. But any other spade – I'm calling. I'm never because I'm never going to get called. Right, right. You know, right, right. if I have if I have anything, you you need to have one of the top two spades. So because of that, that um, yeah, you probably could have saved yourself a bet on the end. But that was just you know unlucky. So that that's the first one. I'm knocked out. But I it's been four hours. You know, only being knocked out one time in four hours. It's pretty decent result given my pre-match conditions. And before we go on to set two, oh, yeah, I do want to go ahead and mention that. Um, I've certainly read a whole lot of poker books. Probably the one that would, was most helpful here was Colin Moshman. I read his book on Heads Up, No Limit, Hold Em. I'd recommend that to everyone. Mackenzie, you might want to write that down. Um, <laughs> There's actually a book just on Heads Up, No Limit that you read prior to this match. This, this should be disqualification. Well, I read years ago. Okay. But I found it. and, and, and looked at A couple of yeah. um, Please, guidelines. Please, and us. All right. So, you know, Heads Up's weird because you're the dealer. 
but you have to act first in the betting um, pre-flop, and then you get to act last post-flop. So you have the positional advantage after the flop, and you're putting up two for the when, when you're the big blind. I'm the small blind. I'm the dealer when I'm the dealer. And in general, 90%, man, maybe 75% of your hands, you want to go at least, you want to go ahead and raise with the button. I recommend pretty much the same um, raise size. You've got a positional edge. You don't want to raise too much. And that way, when your opponent picks up a good hand like an ace-jack, they can go ahead and, and raise a pot. Uh, re-raise on you, and now you're folding all your jack nine suiteds, all your pair of threes, all your um, your you know raising hands that are just aren't that strong, and you want to go ahead and put a little more money in the pot because you've got the positional advantage. And what happened is I was getting squeezed because time was ticking. So yeah. I had to put in raises bigger than I wanted to put in with the positional edge. And you snapped me off on that. You went all in, I think, three or four times and took it down where I raised to eight and yep. you shoved 65. And I was like, ah, I got I to <laughs> throw this away, including a king-queen. Um, so when you're out of position, it makes a lot of sense that when the button raises, you want to fold a lot and you want to re-raise big a lot. You don't want to min-raise, I've learned. You don't want to min because you're that positional disadvantage. Of if the button raises a five, don't make it ten because now— There's 15 in the pot. You only need five to call me. You're not going to fold. call you with a yeah. two-four. You can call me with a two-four, and it would make sense mathematically. So I, I gain no advantage having better cards— because I, I don't even have position. So I would say that they, they fundamentally you... You want to get paid right away with good you, cards. You raise, you, raise, you raise too small. But I understand why you re, why your re-raises were small because you um, you, know, you want to play small pots. The yeah, clock exactly. is in your favor. And w What do you think about this, Fez? What do, you, what do you think my chances would be if I literally just waited till I had like aces, kings, or queens and folded every time? Like I had two hours left. I have 100 chips, 200 in the reserve. I think I might have I might have snuck well, it out let, just doing that. Well, let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. You, um, I mean, it depends how quickly you shuffled. And I don't think you shuffled. I was thinking about it. I can't remember a picture in my mind of you shuffling, which is suspicious. But that's I just probably me. I was, that's probably just I me. I was riffling it twice and going. I was, you can <laughs> see I was going as fast as possible. Now, the what's interesting though, throughout the um, the match, what was I constantly doing? giving you change because I was stealing so many pots already. It's so true. The, you won so you really were getting bled dry. Yeah. When we, when Which is a fine us, strategy if, if I would have executed it right. When neither one of us had anything, yeah. I, I was It was your the, pot. It yeah. was my pot, yes. And, in general, and every now and then I would mix in check raises with garbage, you know? <laughs> yeah, why not? That, 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 because it looks so, it, it's, it, it's so devastating to get hit with the check raise when you're, when you, when you're betting with a, like a and one over and a backdoor straight draw and the like. You just can't fold fast enough. Um, all right, we go to set two now, and now there's only two hours left, and yep. it doesn't go very long, but no. initially I'm stealing. <laughs> like, you, like you said, I'm, I mean, I'm, I, I, what did I pick up, like 15 bucks maybe? Yeah, yeah. I had one one, you would one two or something like that. Yeah, yeah. and so, the, so, so here comes the pivotal hand. Again, spoiler alert. And you look down, and what do you see? Uh, what's the nickname for it? There's so many, but I can only remember the... the Term for aces. It was aces. Pocket rockets. Pocket rockets. There you go. The weapons of mass destruction. And you actually said after, like, oh, you must have been really excited when I saw that. I was not. I'm like, I might, I might go out with this. Like, <laughs> I have aces. I'm not going to fold them. This is, this might be bad. So I have a media, slightly above medium hand. I got an eight ten offsuit. Both red. You raised. I just called. Yeah. So I don't remember. I think I made it seven. Yeah. Because I was, I have to bump my raise sizes higher. And you smooth call. So you set a trap, and. I'm actually okay with that. I'm okay with you also, you know, re-raising, obviously. Um, and, of course, I would have folded. If I would have re-raised, we might still be playing. If I would have just bet 25 right there, that's my pot. Yeah. I, I fold immediately. So, so you go ahead and call. And then, and then, frankly, I think this is where the hand starts to go off the tracks, all right? So the flop comes down a ultra, um, what do they call they, 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 they When they talk about texture, Andy <laughs> talks about texture. I like that word. You don't get much more texture than an 8, 9, 10, all red. A lot of draws, a lot of draws. A lot of draws out there. Um, and you take a look at that. There's flush draws. There's straight draws. And you know I'm going to make a C bet, all right? So you bet 25 into a $14 pot, all right? Yes. And basically you're like, I'm going to price Fez out of his draws. I, I understand right. the logic. I wanted you to fold right there. So I'm trying to think, goal. well, what do you have? I'm, I'm like, well, I'm, my conclusion is you're strong, all right? I don't think you're on a draw. I think you're strong. But if you were ultra strong, if you had flopped a straight, I don't see any way that you're betting so much because yeah, you probably. wouldn't be as fearful of the board run. You'd, you'd fear that a flush draw, but 
you would never, you know, bet 150 yeah. percent a pot. So I'm, I'm thinking to myself, all right. I immediately, I frankly, I put you on good read, good read, an ace ten. That's what okay. I, I put you on, on an ace ten. I said, all right, he's top got pair, top pair. He's protecting highest kicker. I never put you on jacks, queens, kings, or aces because, frankly, I, I, I had trouble putting on ace ten. <laughs> I, I actually put you on jack ten um, because I said if he Open-ended. has ace ten, he would have re-raised. Mm. So I thought I actually, initially I put you on jack ten. Obviously, it's a range with of ace ten. You were talking about pre-flop. I probably would have raised ace ten. Yeah. I'm probably all in. <laughs> yeah, but ace is a. Uh, I tried to set his trap. Can't go all I tried to set his trap because your stack was too big. So at, at this true, point, true, you true. still have 85 big blinds. So yeah, you yeah, started yeah. shoving with hands like ace five with like 40 big blinds. Which <laughs> yeah, is, yeah, yeah. Which is aggressive, but not out of, not out of the reasonability range. Considering I'm raising like a madman almost any two, um, and so the flop comes eight nine ten. So you rate you, you bring out 25. I personally would have much rather you check raised. You know I'm going to see bet. Yeah. And then smack me around. Is there any chance I don't go all in on this hand? <laughs> like, I have aces. None. None. It'd be tough. Like, like maybe that it would be a smarter strategy, but we were probably getting this, it this all in. The, I, at I that think point. you were right to lose all your money here. Once, <laughs> one, uh, Especially when it was to you. But, yeah, but, but, I, think the, but I think you played it wrong. All okay. Right? And, Tell and me how. Because if I don't connect on the flop at all, let's say I have, oh, queen nine, your $25 bet. Well, queen nine's a straight. Um, eight, nine, ten was the. Flip. Oh, you're right, you're right, you're yeah. Right. So, so if I have queen nine, if you bet twenty five, I'm probably tossing it. Yeah, I'm probably. Smart. Maybe I'm making one crying call and then throwing it away. Or if I have king, if I have king nine, I'm throwing it away every time. Um, you bet twenty five, and now I'm like, I'm trying to evaluate. And I'm, I'm, I have to be honest. I'm worried. I got eight, ten. I got top pair, bottom pair. I'm worried you got nine, ten. I certainly am considering that in your range. And also, 8-9 fits every bit as well. So I got that crushed. So I got one that True. crushes me, one I've got crushed. So it's fine. I say, God, I'm gonna, all the action's going to die if, a, if the flush draw comes or if a jack peels off or if a seven peels off. But I'm fine because you'll, you'll tell me if you didn't connect because you'll check. And I, said, I actually said to myself, eh, I'll just steal the pot. If the, if the jack or the seven comes off, I can check it down and win with my two pair. If he didn't get there, and I actually said to myself, you know, I could, I, or even if I had nothing, I could just bluff it. But then a blank comes on the turn, and then without a lot of hesitation, you jam for like 145. And there should be hesitation just to waste the minutes on the clock if I had any kind of uh, game, game theory going in my way, but I wasn't thinking in that mode at the time. And, and I really think the right way to go broke there is you want to check-raise all in. Your bet, it's, nev- it's, it's rarely correct. Yeah, you're only calling me if you got me beat. It's rarely correct point. to really go... Bad. To really go, bad. It's really rarely correct to go Not my all best in work. betting well more than the pot. The only one exception I would make to the rule is that I think mm-hmm. it's okay if you've got two overs and the nut flush draw... And this is evidenced by go back and and watch a hand in the World Series of Poker. I think 2004, Raymer played Mike Matisau. He didn't exactly have nothing. Yeah, someone at the table. I remember said, it correctly. Yeah, 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 yes, Matisau <laughs> said he had nothing, and so I say, well, he didn't exactly have nothing. He was 50 yeah. percent to win the pot with the uh, two over cards and the and the nut flush draw, and he spiked the two of diamonds. But like that, I think that that is like the one exception where I'm I'm okay with that. So hard to play that hand, and just getting all in is fine. But I think that if you would have checked the fact that I called 25, you know I'm, I either have a big draw yeah. or I'm strong and I'm, I'm ultra aggressive. And so if I have a big draw and, you check, and you check, I'm going to bet ah, the big I draw. And, then you, and if I go all in, for instance, I would never do that if I had a straight. If you had a, if you had a straight, right. Yeah. Then you could beat me into the pot and call with the aces. But I think you let me, see bet, you let me go ahead and bet the turn. And now I know what you're thinking. Uh, Fez could have a jack. Fez could have the flush draw. I can't give him a free card, but I think in that case, if you weigh it, if a jack spe- peels off, you can fold your aces. You know, mm. you can say, hey, you know, Fez is bluffing. You know, shake his hand. Good job. <laughs> but I think when, when you shove, the only time I'm never calling with the flush draw, I'm never calling with any of my draws, all right? Yeah. I'm only calling if I have you beat. If exactly. I have a set, That's why if it's I such have a bad two play. pair, I'm going to have you beat. Now, the truth is, more often than not in my range, I don't have you beat. But you're risking now yeah. 145 to win whatever, you know, whatever it is, yeah, 60, 80, 65. Yeah, 60. As soon as you didn't fold, like, I thought it would be an insta-fold, I knew I, I knew I was lost. So I what, completely what regretted think, the decision. What did you think I had? I thought you had, like, Jack Ace or something, and you were, you were, on, a, you were on a straight draw, maybe two diamonds. But I, I, I just wanted the, the hand to be over and for me to take the money. I thought I had aces. I'm going to get it. As soon as you said, huh, I'm like, fuck. And this goes back to our point. I was dead silent the whole time. I should have 
thought of some character in some movie that was strong because it wasn't me. I was like, fuck, fuck, fuck in my head. And I still thought to myself, he has Ace-10 or he has Jack-10 <laughs> with the flush. I actually said Jack-10 with the flush draw. You know, that was what was going through my mind. Those two hands. When you flipped over the Aces, I couldn't believe it. I, I, there's no way I put you on Aces. So it's true. If I had had Kings or Queens, I would have called, you know. So it would have been a great more, bet. More than likely. It would have been lucky, but it would have been a great I would not yeah. have been happy. But remember, yeah. the clock's ticking on me. So I can't, right. I, I, I can't see monsters under the bed. I can't always, like, worry <laughs> about you having flopped good the expression. Screen. Or whatever. So, um, bottom line, I think that the, you know, the Moshman book is is recommended for everybody playing uh, heads up. And frankly, you need to read the book if you ever play sit and goes or tournaments because you're going to get in heads up situations yep. regardless. So you're going to need to know those concepts. So I think it was a, a really good exercise. I um, I would argue I got somewhat unlucky for the first. Three and a half hours, and then massively. It, it all evens out. You were the better player throughout the four hours. You won. Congratulations. You deserve it. Yeah. I, I appreciate it, <laughs> and I think it was a great exercise. And you were, indeed, a monster favorite. You know, after <laughs> three and a half hours in. So maybe we'll do something else with uh, sports upcoming. There's going to be uh, a whole lot of handicapping to do. So maybe something to look forward to next summer. Thank you, everyone. Have a fantastic July 4th weekend. And, hey, three weeks away from sports. Gotta love it.